So, so you may have noticed we've got a little theme going on this morning. Uh, and in fact, there's even been some change in our graphics here, as you can tell. Uh, the ore is no longer there, but the poles are definitely there. And we're going to talk a little bit about fishing this morning. Fishing for people. Uh, when we took our church survey recently, about 4% of the people in our church family indicated that they had the spiritual gift of evangelism. 4%. Uh, now, in other words, that means that God has given 4% of our people a unique sort of supernatural gift of sharing Jesus with others. So I guess the question for the other 96% of us, to use a pun, does that, does that mean we're off the hook? And the reality is, the reality is, not at all. No more than not having the gift of giving releases us for giving, or not having the gift of serving releases us from serving others. It's just that some have been uniquely supernaturally empowered for this cause, but all of us have been called to this cause. If you have Jesus in your life, if Jesus has come into your life, you are called to share the gospel with your words. And perhaps just as importantly, some might argue more importantly, with the way that you live your life. We're called to be salt and light, to share Jesus. It's interesting when most of us, if you can remember back, and a remembering back can sometimes be hard at our age, can it? But if you can remember, by the way, uh, I was going to tell you, Devin, uh, that when you turn 40, uh, you start looking back and reminiscing and you start singing old songs a lot. And so apparently that's what was going on. Everybody have a good time with that this morning? That was kind of fun. It'll get worse, by the way. But remember when you first accepted Jesus Christ? If you can think back to those moments and perhaps how passionate you were at the time how in love you were with Jesus at the time, how overwhelmed you were with his blessings in your life. And for many of us, there was even a desire to tell other people about what had happened. It's interesting, there's a website called Evangelism Coach. There's a pastor on it who, who blogs there. His name's Jeff Johnston. And, and he, he wrote this. He said, studies show that uh, the closer to one's conversion to Christ the closer one's conversion to Christ is to one's conversation about Christ, the more often one will share one's faith over the course of time. So in other words, nearer the point of conversion, we're more likely to tell others about Jesus. The greater lapse of time between our conversion and our conversations with others about it, the less likely people are to evangelize and evangelize regularly, if ever. In fact, some studies indicate that as many as 50% of believers have never shared their faith with another person. I'm concerned. Here, here's, here's a real big concern of mine. I am concerned that the church of Jesus Christ has lost its passion to tell others about Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm really concerned about that. And here's the truth. God loves the people inside this building, but he loves the people outside of our churches this morning just as much. In fact... You know that person that you struggle with? He loves them as much as he loves you. Isn't that scandalous? 
And the reality is, is that at one time in our life, all of us have, have been in dark places, and God has loved us, and we're called to reach out and, and love others. C.S. Lewis once said this. This is an absolutely bold statement. C.S. Lewis said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ, to make them little Christ. In other words, to make men like Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergies, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. We have this word, so the Bible is important, but we have it so we can share it with others. We are called to be salt and light. God calls us to call others to him. I like how he, uh, Lewis says to draw men into Christ. We're being called into this life, into this new life. It's not, not just a club we're joining. Everything is changing. We therefore, as individuals and as people of the Centralia Community Church, bear a heavy responsibility to go out and to tell other people about the Lord. We're going to be talking about that for four weeks. And then we're going to do a, a series on Christmas because believe it or not, Christmas is almost here. Let me start with a confession this morning. Uh, I was uh, 29 years old when I went into ministry. And at that point in time, here's the confession 29 years old, going into ministry, called the ministry, I had never led a single person to Christ. Okay? In fact, it was one of the things that, that I think the, the devil kind of used to say, you, you probably shouldn't go into ministry. You've never done this. You probably can't do it. It's too weird. And, and it really, you know, something that, that, that I, I spent a lot of time thinking about. And my first ministry job was in Tillamook, Oregon. And I remember we were, it was just a couple months after I got there, and I had organized this major youth outreach, and we'd rented the local YMCA, and we were going to talk to people about Jesus at it, we, you know, this kind of gathering event for community kids. And I remember, um, I remember praying before the event, saying, God, I've never shared, I, I'm, tonight I'm going to stand up and, and offer this, this opportunity for kids to come and know Christ, and I've never done that. And I'm scared. I don't even know how to do it, I don't think. I mean, I've, I've, heard, I've heard teaching on how to do it, but, but I don't know how to do it. And so we had this big event, and I spoke at this event. We had a huge number of kids. I was the only full-time youth pastor in Tillamook, so it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. You know, we were the youth group in town. It was, it was, you know, so we did something. Also, it's Tillamook, Oregon. There's nothing better to do. Um, <laughs> And hopefully no one from Tillamook, Oregon is watching this morning on our online feed. If you are, it's a wonderful community. Uh, but uh, I remember, and I, 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 uh, I, 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 I told kids about Jesus that night, and, and I got done, and um, a lot of my adults were meeting with kids and praying with kids, and this junior high girl came up to me, and she goes, I need to talk to you about something. I said, well, what is it? She goes, well, I've been thinking a lot about me needing to accept Jesus. And I think I'm supposed to come up to you and ask you how to do it. And I'm like, 
okay, God, you're kind of making this kind of easy for me, my first time out the shoot, right? <laughs> and I prayed with her that night. I talked, she became an active participant in our youth group. But you know what that taught me? And since then, I've had many, many conversations. I've baptized lots of folks over the years, and I've gotten to do that. But you know what that taught me that night? For one, it tells me that God's always at work and he's not dependent on me. I don't know what's going on in the life of somebody else. But I knew, though, we, we, you know, in our tradition, we, we talk about provenient grace, this grace that goes before. That God's working even before we get there and he's working in the life of this, this middle school girl. And that my job is to respond obediently, to have some knowledge, to, to work to increase my knowledge, and, and that even when I increase my knowledge, God's going to give me the words to say. And so God, in his graciousness, I'm not going to say it's going to be that way for everybody, sort of gently ushered me into this. It was a, it was a good experience for me. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about this. I want to start with a prayer this morning. I want to pray for all of us. But I want to pray for those of us who aren't here. And I want to pray this morning specifically that we would have eyes for them. That God would make evident to us people we need to be actively engaging with. Lord Jesus, you have loved us into your family. And you have made us agents of love. So this week, beginning this week, Lord, as we step out into the community, as we head off to work tomorrow, as we go to school tomorrow, as we interact with our neighbors, God, would you help us to see the world through your eyes? So often, God, it's easy for us with our preconceived ideas and biases to dismiss people. God, forgive us when we do that. Give us a vision for the lost. Help us to see, Lord, and be discerning that we don't always have to have the right word to say. Sometimes it's as simple as offering a cup of cold water or helping meet someone's need. God, make us wise. Give us a passion for this. It is the most important assignment you have given us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Out of respect for God's word, let's stand. I'm going to read probably uh, what we may consider the most famous passage on evangelism. We call it the Great uh, Commission. Excuse me. Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You may be seated. I grew up in a church that emphasized evangelism. Uh, we did, some of you may have, if you grew up in the, in the 80s, you may have done evangelism explosion. And, and we were trained on how to go out and share the gospel with people. The church I grew up in, in fact, grew very, very rapidly. Uh, when I started going there, uh, there were about 300 people. When I went off to college, there were about 5,000 people attending that church. But then the pastor had a moral failure and stumbled, and people left in droves. And as a 20-something, I realized something. The church had done a very good job, and I, I want to be careful what I say here. Many people came to the Lord under that ministry. But there was something else going on as well, 
And what was going on was this. The church had done a very good job of making disciples in many cases of one particular man, a dynamic speaker, a great communicator. And particularly in Western evangelicalism, there's a real potential for us to make this mistake. We get somebody up in front that's a good communicator, and people want to follow. And then when the church, when this man stumbled, the church crumbled. Jesus starts out this great commission with a bold proclamation. He says this, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, he is saying, I am over all. I am who you follow. I am who you point people towards. As if there's any doubt, he says this. You're to go and baptize them, what? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. For those who were listening at the time, particularly those who weren't followers of him, Father, yeah, we'll follow the Father. We'll baptize in the name of the Father. We'll baptize in the name of the Spirit. But the Son, Jesus was saying, Jesus was saying, I'm part of the Godhead. I'm who you're baptizing people in them. I'm the one who you are to follow. Here, the resurrected Jesus is calling himself God, the triune God. So let me start with this idea this morning. We're called to make disciples of Jesus, period. Before we can do this, we must ask ourselves this really important question. Am I a disciple of Jesus? That's a tough one, isn't it? That's where we have to start. Maybe another way of thinking, well, I'll get to that in a second, but, but several chapters back in Matthew 23, Jesus is being critical of the religious leaders of the day. Remember, when Jesus, the people that Jesus was most critical of during his time was not the government authorities, it was actually the religious authorities. And he says this in Matthew 23, he says, everything they do is done for people to see, these religious leaders. They make their phylacteries wide. Now the phylacteries, we've talked about this before, were little boxes they would wear on their forehead that had scripture inside of them. So they had this box on their head that sort of announced, you know, I'm, I'm, I know a lot. Uh, and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. See what he's telling his followers? He goes, you're not going to be the rabbi. You have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father. He is in heaven, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's giving us this roadmap for how we're to follow, and, the, and he's telling people who are to be the leaders how they are supposed to lead through humility, through mercy, not through self-aggrandizement. You have one rabbi. He's speaking, he is using hyperbole here. Obviously, we have earthly fathers that we call father. But what he is saying is, you are pointing people to me, period. But here's the challenge. We have to look at our own lives first. 
There's lots of self-aggrandizement that goes on in the world. You can turn on countless TV preachers and prosperity teachers who, who seem to be drawing attention to themselves. By the way, if I ever take up an offering for you to buy me a personal jet, you do have permission to leave. Um, and we're rightly critical, but, but the harder question is to evaluate ourselves. Some of that stuff's obvious, but what about evaluating ourselves? When people look at you, your life, and your priorities, who would they say you're following? That's a tough one, isn't it? When people look at you, your life, and your priorities, who would they say you're following? If they looked at you honestly... You see, in order to make disciples of Jesus, we must first be disciples of Jesus. It's a decision we all have to make. Max Lucado said, in our faith, we follow in someone's steps. In our faith, we leave footprints to guide others. It's the principle of discipleship. That is who we are as a people. We are followers of Jesus alone. Not of your pastoral staff, they are charged to guide you in following Jesus, but we are followers of Jesus alone. Because there's this truth. The people we disciple will follow us where we are going, not to where we say we're going. And those can be two entirely different things. See what I'm saying? People will follow us where we're actually going, not where we say we are going. If we tell people we're followers of Jesus, but everything in our life points to us as God, they're not going to go to Jesus. Our lives must be in alignment totally with Jesus. Our lives must be submitting entirely to Jesus. By the way, discipleship is not optional. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way take up your cross and follow me. Now next, and this is obvious, but sometimes in the church it's not so obvious. We must go to people who don't know Jesus. Waiting for them to come to us just won't work. Discipleship necessarily involves going to people who don't know him. They're not just going to come knocking at our door. In this great commission, Jesus makes it clear, go and make disciples. He's inviting us to participate as he reshapes people. And that necessarily involves having to show love and concern for people who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't live like us, have the same values or customs as us. By the way, church, we have to get better and better at that. I think this is going to be a, uh, an eternal charge and goal of the church is that we have to be a welcoming place for people who have no idea what we're about. Because for those that do show up here that don't know Jesus, they're making a brave decision to step into something that's different. Yeah. So they're not going to understand all our customs, all our traditions. So we have to be gracious with them and gently usher them into those things. You see, our work is necessarily cross-cultural. Let me say that again. Our work is necessarily cross-cultural. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he uses a word there. The word he uses is ethnos. Uh, and ethnos probably in this context did not refer to nation-states. He wasn't saying go to, you know, Germany or go to, uh, you know, France or go to Zimbabwe. 
This doesn't refer so much to nation states as it refers to people groups. Uh, 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 People who in that time lived together. There may have been multiple people groups inside of a nation. So Jesus is less referring to nation states and more likely referring to collections of people living together who share customs and traditions. Here's the question. Do we in Lewis County have different people groups? Do we have people that kind of gather together and are different from us but sort of run together in the same circles? Racial groups, income groups, We do have that. Wealthy people live in wealthy communities and do things with wealthy people. Poor people live in poor communities, oftentimes do things with poor people. Do we have different political great groups? Do we have red states and do we have blue states? Subcultures exist in our society. We have hipsters and rockers and rednecks. We have professionals and we have the homeless and God loves all of them. All of them. I was happy when I drove in this morning. So I mentioned this last week. I think it's worth mentioning for a couple weeks. Um, Pastor Tony and Claudia, many of you know them. They've given us the, the gift of Gabby and Kare. Um, their, uh, uh, their congregation is using our building right now. And they're down at the other end meeting. Uh, Iglesia Christiana Resurrection is meeting down there. And I'm excited that there's a little space in our building where there's an opportunity for Spanish language speakers to come and hear the gospel on Sunday morning. We need to be doing those things. There is a word for the world we live in that you hear more and more right now, and I think it's a very dangerous word. And the word is this, tribalism, tribalism. It is vitally important. The tribalism, we see it now, you know, you really see it in our political world. We, we live with the same people. We talk with the same people. We get our information from the, the same people. We don't, we, we don't uh, uh, um, uh, bother to uh, um, try to connect with other tribes. In fact, we're very suspicious of other tribes. The church can't be another tribe. The church needs to be a place where people escape from the tribes, where they hear the truth. The church needs to be a place for refugees. By the way, the kind of divisions we live in right now in 2022 are nothing new. When Jesus was sending his disciples out, he knew he was sending them out into enemy territory and out into dangerous places where people believe differently from him and people listen differently. He says this in Matthew 10, 16. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father through you. I love that first line. We don't think about it. Normally when, we, normally when there's a snake in the Bible, it's not a good thing. But here Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. In other words, let your lives be pure, reflective of Jesus Christ, but don't be naive. You're stepping out into a complex world. Know what you're stepping into. People unlike us exist all around us. And our first responsibility to them is that we, through word and deed, show them Jesus. 
and then we bring them in. We don't expect them to know Jesus when they get here. But through the way we live and, and, and the words we use and, and as importantly, the, the actions that we take, we point them towards Jesus. You see, we're called to be a baptizing people, right? We're called to baptize. That's, part, that's a vital part of the Great Commission. By the way, next Sunday, I think, I think that was one of the video announcements. Next Sunday, there is going to be, is it next Sunday, Elmer? There's a baptism class. If you've never been baptized... This is a, an opportunity for you to say, I want to step out in obedience and be baptized. Uh, we're called as a church to go and baptize people. If you're here, you've never been baptized. Maybe you've got questions. Show up next Sunday, November 6th. I think it's right after the service. Uh, we'll be just answering questions about baptism. Then on, I believe, November 20th, we're going to do a baptism service. We're called to be a baptizing people. It's something the church has done since its inception. Peter, standing in front of what was to be some of the earliest manifestations of the church, reminded the crowd that we need, of something we need to be reminding people of. Look at Acts 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? This early group of people who were to become the church are listening and they hear that Jesus is the Messiah, the only way to heaven, the source of salvation. And they hear this message and they say, Jesus, Peter, what should we do about this that we've just heard? And Peter says, repent, turn from your ways and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and all your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord God will call. Even then, Peter was seeing this global mission of people, bringing, people coming to Jesus and being baptized. Bapti baptism, if you've never been baptized, baptism is, baptism is rich with meaning. It, 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 it means several things. First off, it is a sign of death to sin. It is, a, it is a visual sign of repentance, of turning. We enter the water, our old self, are buried with Christ, and he takes our sins, and we're raised new in life. So it's this sign of death to sin. It's, it's this resurrection into new life in Christ. In fact, Peter here says, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, God himself living inside of you. So it is a, a symbol of this new life, but it's also this, and this is vitally important, it is a symbol of incorporation into the body of Christ. You are becoming something bigger than yourself. You are becoming a part of a global community of people, of every tribe, every nation, who are called to live out the mission of Christ on earth to point people to him. You're being invited into this larger thing. God the Father, Son, and Spirit, three yet one in relationship with other, and we're invited into that relationship. It's really a beautiful thing. We're baptized in the name of the triune God and invited into this sacred relationship. Now this, and this maybe is the one that the church needs to hear most. Making disciples is inviting people into a divine relationship and committing to them in that relationship. That means specifically that disciple-making 
and the act of repentance and conversion are not the same thing. Okay? Now, repentance and conversion are a part of disciple-making. They're the, the beginning part of disciple-making. But, but it's not the end. Praying with somebody to invite Jesus into their life is vital. But it's just the beginning. Uh, one of the things, I, I think I call this sermon Reclaiming the Great Commission. One of my concerns with the church is that we have, we have made the Great Commission about conversion. And don't get me wrong, it's a vital part of that. You, you, need, you need to come to Christ before you can be discipled into Christ, right? So there's this act that's important. But Jesus doesn't say go and make converts. He doesn't even say go and baptize people. He says go and make disciples, baptizing them, right? That, that, that's what he says. On December 29th, 1995, one of the most important things that ever happened to me happened. It is a moment that I have, I, I can still see with my mind's eye. On December 29th, 1995, my wife went into labor with our firstborn, John. And it was a rough delivery. He wound up in neonatal intensive care, but he was all right. Didn't get to hold him right away. But I remember when I did get to hold him, I picked him up and I looked at him. My, son, my firstborn John's son, uh, my firstborn son, John, <laughs> and I looked him in the eye and I said, John, I've done my part, you're on your own now. <laughs> of course I didn't, right? Stupid thing to say. I, I did, you know, I, I looked at him and I realized that uh, this was an exciting moment, uh, but there was a lot of work ahead, right? And it wasn't all going to be fun. I wasn't, I wasn't that naive. I realized that I was now committing to walk with him for, for at least 18 years. I did tell him at 18, I go, you are moving out. Um, I didn't want him playing video games in my basement at 45, you know, so. But uh, no. It, 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 we need to think about our role in bringing people to Christ in the same manner. We're committing people for, for the long haul. We're committing to people uh, to bring them into something that, that's going to involve eternal life. You know, I was, I was taught the, the four spiritual laws. Some of you are familiar with Bill Bright's four spiritual laws. That was some things we were taught. If you, if you never heard him, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Number two, we are sinful and separated from God. Number three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin. And number four, we must individually receive Christ as Savior and Lord. And then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. This is a format that Bill Bright from Campus Crusade uh, for Christ developed years ago to share the gospel. And, and I, that was the, the tool I used, and I memorized it, and it was very effective. Uh, even when I talked to that little girl at that youth rally in Tillamook, Oregon, you know, almost 30 years ago, I, I used some of those things to share. But here's the thing. As I got rolling in student ministry, I realized something it was just the beginning. I had to walk with these kids. 
Jesus told his followers that when they make disciples, they will be teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. This is vital because teaching is a hard process. It involves failure. What happens when the new Christ follower fails? Do we abandon them? What happens when a marriage crumbles or they get caught in a lie? What happens when their faith gets rattled by death or disease or loss? Conversion comes in a moment. Discipleship can take a lifetime. Centralia Church is at a commitment that we are willing to make. Over a decade ago, I think it's about 16 years ago, one of my spiritual heroes, a guy who was a philosophy professor at USC and a great Christian thinker, his name's Dallas Willard. He wrote a book that's been really influential in my life. The name of the book was called The Great Omission. We're talking about the Great Commission this morning. Well, he wrote a book called The Great Omission. And what he argued the omission was, what we were forgetting to do, he said, we're good at conversion, we're not so good at discipleship. That when we walk with people, we need to be bringing them into a relationship. In fact, he said this in the book, and this is startling. He said, for at least several decades, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress towards discipleship. He was saying that's kind of what the church had become. I hope he's wrong. Because more than ever, our world, our broken world needs true disciples. People who look like Jesus Friends, are we willing to do the deep work of discipleship? Are we willing to go out and and catch fish? Are we willing to drop our line in waters where other people aren't going? Where there's danger and ugliness and brokenness? Where things have been mired in sin? Where there's complexity in relationships that's devastating? Are we willing to step into that? Because I believe that's a part of our call. So I guess that it's not just catching fish. I guess we need to hang around while God cleans them too. Right? George McLeod was a Scottish pastor who gained some notoriety. Uh, He was one of these guys that would leave cushy ministry assignments and go work in communities that were broken and in great need. Lived in the 1800s. In fact, he was always causing problems in the organizations he worked in because he he worked with those. They were more interested in the the money-making side of ministry than the money-losing side of ministry. And George McLeod was drawn to that. And he wrote this poem that's a great poem I don't read a lot of poems, but I want to read this poem to you as we close this morning. Return the cross to Golgotha is what he calls his poem. I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I am recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves on a town garbage heap. At a crossroads of politics so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. And at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble. Because that is where he died. 
And that is what he died about. And that is where Christ's men ought to be and where church people ought to be about.